And while it really is a privilege to share God's Word with you once again, those joining us online, great to have you with us. And uh, I enjoy these end of the year. We're not in a, a, a preaching journey or series at the moment. I've, in fact, looked at some of the, when we did the survey about two months ago, we asked for some preaching topics. And some of these are, are some of the preaching topics that were given to us out of that survey. And one of them was around uh, just basic Christian maturity. How do, I, how do I mature? How do I grow in Christ? How do I read my Bible? How do I pray better? How do I press on? And there's a little phrase that I want, to, I want you to catch this morning, something that's been burning inside of me. You know when you read the Bible sometimes and it jumps out at you and it, it catches your heart. And it's a simple little phrase. And it spoke about Jesus and he did various things. And it says, and as was his custom. That's it. It spoke about Jesus. He did something and it said, and as was his custom, he did this and that. A custom is like a habit. A, a custom is your, is your lifestyle that has just become part of who you are. Monday night at the Bradings is family dinner. We, we live quite a busy life, everyone going in different directions, but not Monday night. Monday night, family dinner. Even those we've married off recently, no, come back on a Monday night. Monday night, family dinner. It's as was their custom. Monday night, it, in other words, it's part of our lifestyle. And what I'm going to be talking about today is, uh, is exactly that. I want to look at some of those customs of Jesus. What was his lifestyle? And then I'm going to connect it with how that impacts us as a church. Because one of the things that I've found is as the church grows, the church grows more complex and busy. It's just one of those things. We've got more ministries, there's more people, there's more activity, but busyness does not equate with effectiveness. And I'm sure you've realized that in your life as well. You can get busy and busy and busier, but are you actually becoming more effective in what you do? And I suppose one of the challenges, my sort of holy discontent that sometimes frustrates me is I, I listen to a lot of teachings and read books about pastors leading churches and bigger churches and how they do things. And, and I read about all of these structures and strategies and values and cultures and all of these things. And I'm like, yo, problem is when I read that and when I read the New Testament, when I read the book of Acts, they just seem like completely different. How did they lead this church in Jerusalem? This was a huge church. 3,000 were added, then it grew to 5,000, 10,000. This was a massive church, and yet we're not reading about all this organizational structure and ministries. That, how did they do it? What was their secret? And I believe that their secret was in their simplicity. And I believe the simplicity of the early church was that they simply copied the lifestyle of Jesus, the customs of Jesus. They didn't have a church model. They simply followed the lifestyle of Jesus. They didn't even seem to have membership classes, leadership classes. They didn't even seem to have any of that. They simply followed the lifestyle of Jesus. In fact, this following the lifestyle of Jesus was actually part of their identity. Now, we identify as Christians. Put the, the, the fish on the back of your car or send out little smiley face Christian uh, daily encouragers. But actually, their identity, the word Christian, which means little Christ, only came later. At first, they were called followers of Jesus or disciples. A disciple is someone who's disciplined into the lifestyle of a master. And they said, that's it. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to become like my master. Later, they were called followers of the way. Uh, Paul spoke about that, for example, in Acts 22, verse 4. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death. Now, that's beautiful, isn't it? It's a very much a, 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 a kind of a, 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 a 
being, that's who you are. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. And then they were called Christians later on in Antioch. The word Christian means a little Christ. It was actually given as a derogatory term, but hey, you like that Jesus guy. You like a little Christ, which actually is a huge compliment. My point is this. All of that was part of their identity. This is what we do. We follow Jesus. I follow the way of Jesus. I want to look like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to live the lifestyle of Jesus. So whether we call disciples of Jesus, believers in Jesus, followers of the way of Jesus, or little Jesus, it seems the lifestyle of Jesus was what they imitated. So what does that simple lifestyle of Jesus consist of? I want to for example, when I look at our, our communion table there, and it's four, it's a heavy table, by the way. It's a beautiful, beautiful table, and it's held up by four strong legs. All four of them are critical to keep that table aloft. And in some ways, it seems there were four main customs to the life of Jesus, which, which molded his life and his lifestyle. Let me take you through them. The first one, obviously, is Jesus, the living word, was absolutely and completely devoted to the word of God. Mark 10 verse 1, it says, Jesus then left that place and he went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him and as was his custom, he taught them. That was his custom. People come to me first primary. You need the word of God. First, before anything else, before we feed the 5,000, before we walk, no, no, let's feed them the word of God. Jesus was absolutely a man of the word because he is the living word. Jesus, in the beginning, the word was with us and the word was God. The word was with God and the word became flesh. I love that phrase. The word became flesh. Guess what it means for a disciple of Jesus? As followers of Christ, the word should be coming flesh. We're not just hearers of the word. No, we do it. And as we do the word of God, the word has become flesh. Jesus was completely devoted to a lifestyle of living out the word of God. In fact, he said he didn't do anything that he hadn't seen his father doing. If I came to your life and asked you, why do you do that? Why do you use your money like that? Why do you treat your spouse like that? Why do you treat your children like that? Why do you, what's your attitude at work? Can you take it back to the Word of God? It's because here in the Word, this is what it says, and I've learned to the Word become flesh. Every part of our lives taken back to God's Word. The first leg of the Jesus lifestyle is this passionate commitment to see His Word, the Bible, fleshed out in our lives. Second one, is Jesus was devoted, passionately devoted to serving the people of God. Luke 4 verse 16, it says, Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Once again, here's part of his lifestyle. It's the Sabbath. That's the day Jewish people went to worship. If it's that day, I go and worship to be with the people of God, to serve the people of God. In Matthew 20, 26 to 28, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said, Not so with you instead. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus lived to serve. That's who he was. It's not something he did. It's like, whoa, cook, my name's on the roster today. I need to serve. No, no. It's fine having your name on a roster, but is it your identity? The identity of Jesus, I didn't come to be served, but to serve because he'd found the joy that is more blessed, more joyful to serve than to be served. So he just lived a life of serving the people of God. The second leg of a Jesus lifestyle is to serve one another as the people of God. Third custom in his life 
was his absolute devotion and dedication to prayer. In uh, Luke 6 verse 12, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. When last did you spend the night praying to God? I have to say embarrassedly that I, I can't remember. Maybe when I was at university and we had these ridiculous prayer vigils, I hated them. I'm at 10 o'clock at night, everything shuts down on the inside. And so trying to pray late into night, I mean, I didn't even study advisedly past 10 o'clock. My faith kicked in at 10 o'clock. I'm sure God will help me through the exam. I'm going to bed. So for me to stay awake past, that's why we don't have a New Year service, because the pastor can't even stay awake past 10 o'clock. I just adjust my watch so that at 10 o'clock, Happy New Year, and then we go to sleep. But that's another. But Jesus because of his passionate commitment to being in his father's presence at night, would spend nights praying. Mark 1 verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This was his custom. This was his lifestyle. I need time with my father. This is not a have to. I don't have to tick off. I prayed today. He knew he needed time with his father. And that very early in the morning followed a very late night of ministry. The previous night, the whole town was out. He was casting out demons, healing late into the night, but very early in the morning, back in his father's presence. That third leg of a Jesus lifestyle is a passionate commitment to prayer. Prayer was the source of Jesus' strength and power. And then the fourth one, maybe the one that I love the most, is one of the customs of Jesus' life is his passionate commitment to eating. I mean, come on. I just, I love that. It's to meals, especially the covenant meal. I mean, think about it. So many stories about Jesus. Jesus had meals with his disciples. Obviously, that was his main discipleship area. But he had meals with the Pharisees. He would go into in, in his enemies' homes. They were out to persecute him, to trap him, but they invited him to dinner. He was there. He went into tax collectors' homes. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. He went into his friends' homes. He went into homes after homes. He knew the dining room table was a sacred ministry space. In Luke 19, verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Isn't that beautiful? It's in the Bible to invite yourself to someone else's house for lunch. So if we want to be biblical Christians following the lifestyle of Jesus, feel completely free to ask someone to come to their house for lunch today. Luke 22, verses 14 and 15. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. I love that. Steve Neverling, he always reminds me of this verse. Reclining at a table is not a formal seating. Reclining at a table was relaxing around a table together. And Jesus knew that's probably one of the primary ministry spaces there are when you can get people relaxed around a table together. Hearts are open for the gospel and for ministry and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And so Jesus, just as he had meals, so he desired to eat the covenant meal, the Passover meal. And then as he had that final Passover meal, he said to his disciples as he broke bread, like we did a few moments ago, now do this as often as you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, new custom, new custom. Don't just eat, remember me in your meal as you break bread together. That fourth leg of Jesus' lifestyle is seeing your dining room table as a ministry tool. So these simple customs of Jesus, passionate dedication to his word, devoted to serving God's people, devoted to prayer, devoted to meals, to disciple and especially that covenant meal. Now, can you imagine what it was like then? 
for the 12 that Jesus had chosen. Come follow me. Come follow me. Come. And, and with his crew for three years, and they were watching the customs of Jesus, his lifestyle of, I don't do anything unless I've seen in my father. As he quoted the word of God, he taught the word of God. As they saw him praying, as they had meals with him, as they saw him serving, guess what happened in their lives? They would have been learning the customs of Jesus. Over three years, their lives would have been slowly transformed as they picked up his habits. They understood the why behind his customs. And I'm sure they began to live similar lifestyle. And so now, Jesus is crucified. Their world is shaken. They go through this tumultuous time of wondering what is going to happen. The news comes that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Suddenly from this despair, now there's joy, now there's, is it real? Then they meet Jesus. 40 days, he, he, he speaks about the kingdom of God and their world is just, what is going on? And, and then next, Jesus is ascending off to heaven and he says, but wait for the Holy Spirit. And, and then Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power. And just like that, there's a, this transformation. Something's changed on the inside, a new boldness. Crowds gather. Peter begins to preach. And as he preaches, the group of 120 suddenly grows to 3,120. Now let's just put things in perspective. I mean, you, you, you're putting on a nice little banquet and you've got 12 people coming for dinner and then 65 rock up. I mean, just let's be real. I mean, this, let's put things into perspective. You, you were planning for 12 and 65 people arrive. Now, I know Indian functions. I've learned. I've learned when Indian people invite you to a small function at their house, don't be deceived. Because normally a small function is like 50, 60 people. And, and I've just learned. I mean, different cultures, it means different things. But now here in the, in the church, they were used to 120. And then he preaches and it says 3,000 people were added to them that day. So, so the next Sabbath, now we were 120. We could fit in this nice little upper room. Now there's 3,120. What do we do? What would you do? I mean, I always wondered that. I pondered that. Where did this new church model, how did they sustain this church? How did they do church? And I suppose what they did, what we would have done. You see, when you're under pressure, when you're like, ah, what do I do? The chances are you're going to fall back onto your old lifestyle, onto your old habits, onto your old customs. I remember speaking to a man once who'd emigrated to the United States. Now, I mean, he was middle age and he said, I've been driving a car like 20 years or something. And he says, that's what concerns me. He says, now in America, you drive on the opposite side, but every default inside of me, if I suddenly saw headlights coming at me, I would pull left. Because the golden rule on traffic in South Africa is stay left, keep left. So if danger comes, go left. And now I'm living in the United States. And now suddenly, I'm going to, every default inside of me will, will, that's what I'm talking about. And I think what happened in the early church, 3,000 were added. What do we do? They would have fallen back onto the customs they had got used to for the last three years. In fact, it says it in Acts 2 verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You see, under pressure, they fell back, not into a church model, a church strategy, an organizational chart. 
They simply began to live or continue to live the lifestyle of Jesus as they taught others to do the same. The big idea, this was the lifestyle of the early church that they built on. Not a church model, not an organizational church, not a, nothing complicated. The simple four legs of the customs of Jesus. And look what happened. It says in Acts 2 verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Why? Well, they were so devoted to prayer. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and they gave to everyone who had need. Why? Because they were devoted to serving one another. It says in verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Why? Because they were devoted to meals, to eating together. So if someone came along and you didn't know them, the default was, hey, don't you want to come for lunch? Hey, don't you want to come for lunch? Let's get people around tables because tables are a sacred ministry space. Sharing meals together, especially the new covenant meal, breaking bread that was so central to their lives. And so verse 47 says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And here's the key. God could continue adding because the simple lifestyle could accommodate more growth. As the newbies learn to, oh, let's be devoted to God's word because that's how we grow. And let's be devoted to prayer because now we're seeing more power released in our lives. And, and let's be devoted to serve one another. And let's be devoted to getting people around our dining room table. Suddenly the church could grow because they were all learning how to accommodate growth. Does that make sense? And so within this beautiful, simple lifestyle of Jesus was not just what it took to disciple individuals, but it made space for the church to keep expanding. And when persecution came and they were scattered into the nations, guess what they did? They began to live the lifestyle of Jesus. And as they studied his word and prayed, they met people, they invited them to their table, they served them, and soon their table was full and a new church was planted. The lifestyle of Jesus. So what does that practically look like for you and me? Devoted, I love that word. It says they devoted themselves. Devotion's a great word. Devotion means there is discipline there, but it's discipline based on passion. And uh, I remember Viv, I've been picking on Viv this morning, her, her late husband, Errol. He always used to tell me, Brent, you'll always know what someone's really passionate about because they always end up talking about it. It's true. I mean, it doesn't take long before a passionate fisherman, they're going to be talking about fishing or the golfer or the whatever. You can't help but talk what you're really passionate about. And this church, this early church was so passionate about Jesus that they must have just ended up talking about Jesus. But devotion is the natural lifestyle that flows when you're passionate about something. I mean, I, in Mirancia there, you see people building, our next door neighbors again, built these massive garages, spending probably hundreds of thousands of rand for their boat because they're obviously passionate about their boat. And I'm sure when they woke up at four o'clock this morning to go fishing once again, it's not, oh, I can't believe I have to fish again. I bet you they jumped out of bed, hooked up the boat, and they were there at the water waiting for the sun to rise. Because when you're passionate about something, it's not an effort, it's a joy. The early church devoted. Here's the problem, church. We, we must not fall into the trap of thinking passionate, loving Jesus means those worship moments when I feel goosebumps. Oh, this is love for Jesus. No, that's nice, but that's not love for Jesus. Jesus said this. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Hectic. That's not exactly goosebump stuff. But Jesus says, no, no, this is real. 
those you might enjoy. And let's enjoy worship experiences when we feel the Holy Spirit stir our heart. But real love for Jesus is not measured in goosebumps. It's measured in Jesus. I want to follow you no matter what. It means it's measured in the tough choices. It means putting our flesh in place so that the Word can become flesh in our lives. So let me dive into it. What does it practically mean? Let's talk nuts and bolts for a moment. How do we devote ourselves to the Word? Church, I hope that you have some kind of strategy to read and study God's Word. So now as we approach the end of the year and we review and and plan for next year, if you are a baby Christian, then I hope that you're growing in the Lord. If you've been a Christian many years but are still a baby, then grow up, okay? And, and you're going to grow up as you learn to take the Word of God and it's what feeds you and matures you. Now, when a baby has mother's milk, that's beautiful. But if a 22-year-old is still on milk, that's a problem, okay? But then what's the difference between milk and meat? It's, it's the process of chewing, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. As, as, as we mature in the Lord, it's beautiful to get your daily scripture from your some kind of Christian, someone who, who sends you a verse and a lovely flowery thing. And that's beautiful, but it's pre-chewed by someone else. In other words, they have worked through the scripture and now they've got a nice verse of the day with a little encouragement and you can take it and you can say, yay, but understand that that's milk. It's not bad, but it's milk. Good if you're a brand new Christian. But if you've been walking with the Lord for many years, then actually you should be now eating the meat of God's Word. And I want to encourage all of us to be strategic in reading the Word of God. We need a plan. We need a Bible reading plan. Otherwise, you'll default back to your favorite fridge magnet scriptures. No, no, we've got to go deeper than that. That's baby stuff. Now it's time to go deeper. I would encourage you, church. There's so many beautiful resources online. You can find a reading plan. Find a plan that works for you. Get your Bible and learn to use it and use it well. I spoke about meditating. Meditating on scripture is going from reading to chewing. Now, this is the most powerful because as I pray every time, the Word of God is living and active. The life and power of God is in His Word, but to get the life and power out of it, you've got to chew it. Meditating is chewing on the Word of God. And the way you do that is you read something and then you interact with the Holy Spirit. And you say, Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Holy Spirit, how does that apply to my life? Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say? And as you have this conversation with the Holy Spirit, because He's the one who inspired the writing of that Word, things begin to jump out at you and begin to stand out. And and for me, this is the most beautiful moments. This is why I love preparing, preaching as much as I love preaching, because this is where God speaks to us. He'll begin to highlight this week, as was His custom, as was His custom. And it made me think, Lord, what are the customs in my life and are they serving you or are they hindering my walk with the Lord? And then, it's not just reading your Bible, not just meditating on Scripture, but then repenting and doing it. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves. And some people are educated way beyond their level of obedience. In other words, you know so much about the Bible, but what you know about the Bible is way ahead of your level of obedience to the Bible, if that makes sense. Actually, are we living God's Word? You see, we can fall into the trap once again of thinking we know the Bible because we know it and have heard it and can quote it. But Jesus says, no, no, then you'll know the truth. When? When you're doing it. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The danger 
is that we can so easily bow our knee to the idol of our own reasoning. What I mean by this is simply this. If I understand it and it makes sense to me, then I'm going to do it. If it doesn't make sense to me and I think it's a bit doff, then I'm not going to do it. And when we take that level of thinking into the Word of God, we've established our reasoning as an idol in our lives. In other words, my reasoning is here. The authority of God's Word bows the knee to that. And friends, we've got to repent of that. There are things in God's Word. Now, I'm not saying we, we kiss our brains goodbye, but I am saying we take His Word by faith. To love your enemies. I mean, that sounds crazy. That doesn't make sense. Sorry, Lord, I'm scratching that one because it doesn't tick my reasoning box. It doesn't make sense. No, no, we do it by faith. How do you love your enemies? Well, it says if your enemies hungry, feed them. If they thirsty, give them something to drink. And this way you'll heap burning coals on their head. You pray for your enemies. So do it. And as you do it and you, you're there buying lunch at the canteen at work and you think, oh, there's that guy that I don't like. <sighs> okay, let me buy him lunch. And you buy him lunch and it's like, hey, just wanted to bless you today. And the guy like falls off his chair. And then suddenly a conversation happens and whatever happens, but actually you realize he's been such a, a pain to you because he's going through a crisis in his life. And finally someone listens and then you get to the heart of it. And instead of anger, now you've got compassion for him and you've made a friend. And then you think, wow, God, your word actually works. Did you hear what I'm saying? Anyway, let me move along. Let me just finish off this. Oh, I've got to land. Joshua 1, 7 and 8 says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Sustained success in our lives is proportional to our level of obedience to God's word sustain success. Yeah, people can have temporary success, like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And it looks good and it looks successful until the storm comes and everything comes crashing down. Sustained success in life, according to the Word of God, comes from the Word of God. Moving quickly, number two, how do we devote ourselves to serving our fellow believers? Second custom in a Christian's life is a commitment to friendship, to making friends. Please don't be an attender. If you've been in Outlook for a while, and, and, and if you were honest, 2023 was an attending year, I kind of sneak in, sneak out, I don't really know anyone, then it's time to repent. It's time to realize that we are part of a body, we're connected to one another, we need one another, and it starts with a commitment to be relational. And in the beginning, it's awkward for us fellow uh, introverts, but actually push through by the grace of God. We'd love you to be part of some kind of smaller community, whether you start with believers training, start with a connect group, with a prayer meeting, with somewhere where it's easier to connect and make friends with people. We were designed for fellowship and for serving one another. Commitment to friendship. Number two, commitment then to using your spiritual gifts. We do not believe it's not a biblical model for the pastors to do the ministry. Pastors, leaders' job is to equip and prepare God's people for works of ministry. So our job should be more a coaching one than a doing one because all of us have spiritual gifts and we need one another. And your growth in the Lord is going to be dependent on you using your spiritual gifts in the church, in the world, wherever you find yourself. 
It says they, they gave gladly. Part of serving one another is generosity. And I'm not talking about finance. I'm talking about generosity of our hearts, of our time, of our hands to lovingly serve one another. I was so enjoyed our picnic on Sunday last week before the carols. And uh, I mean, I did my sacrificial round of visiting all of your, your picnics to taste your food. It was exquisite. But then uh, feeling worn out, I went into the coffee shop and there I discovered Marianne's banqueting table. And Marianne, if you don't know the angel of the bay, is, uh, I'm sure um, she's here somewhere. But uh, I mean, she just, she just provided a banquet. Just, and, and I saw as people came in, some of them came early for the carol. She was like, no, 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 come and take a seat at the table. And it was this generosity of heart with all of these beautiful snacks and cheese and this and this and this. It's like, here's my table. There's a place at the table for you. Generosity led to fellowship and friendship. I want to um, lovingly ask you this question. When it comes to a commitment to the fellowship, are you the type of Christian who wakes up on a Sunday and makes a choice of whether to go to church or not? I've learned that I do not trust myself on my day off to make energetic decisions. Now, Monday is our day off, and I love playing golf, but I have to be honest, I've realized if I wake up on a Monday morning, hey, should I phone some friends and arrange a game? It's not going to happen because I'm just, no, no, I'm going to just blob on the couch. If I've already made the decision and arranged three o'clock meeting you at the dinner, then it's going to happen and then I'll be so pleased I made the plan. But I've learned I don't trust myself to make energetic decisions on a Monday. Now, that's probably how many of you are on a Sunday. If you haven't pre-made your decision that on the day of the Lord, we gather together because we committed to fellowship. If you're leaving it up to your flesh to help you decide on a Sunday morning, it's like, Sunday morning, yo, is that a spot of rain? Mm, I think maybe we should stay indoors today. Don't let your flesh dictate. Make the decision once. As was his custom, he went to be with the people of God. Anyway, let me land. Number three, how do we devote ourselves to breaking bread? Well, let's make it central to worship. That's what we've tried to do here. And that came from uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, we came together to break bread. I love that. You'd think, well, why do they gather on a Sunday? Well, we, we gather on a Sunday to hear preaching. They preach, but we gather together to sing. Well, they probably sang. No, they gathered together to break bread. The primary motive for gathering the people of God together on Sunday was let's break bread together. Breaking bread together was a central part of worship for the early church. They did it often, and they did it as more than just a sip and a dip. Actually, they had a whole meal together, which is something I believe God is stretching us to. Two mistakes that I believe the church has made over the centuries. We have reduced breaking of bread to a little piece of bread and a juice. Scripturally, it looks like they actually had a meal together. So this is great what we do on a Sunday, but I don't think it's enough. We've tried to be devoted in terms of how often we break bread. The next step is to now break bread around a meal. Instead of just saying grace at the beginning of the meal, because it seems at the start of the meal, Jesus took bread, he broke it and gave thanks. At the end of the meal, he took a cup and he gave thanks and he said, this is the covenant, remember it. Now imagine introducing that into our lifestyles, our connect groups, our meetings, times together, where we honor the Lord as the centerpiece of the table. Number two, second mistake I believe the church made over the centuries is somewhere along the line, it became the, the function of an ordained minister to offer the sacraments. 
which sounds religious and it is, because that's not the New Testament pattern. You don't have to be an ordained minister to break bread. Actually, this was a priestly function and we're all priests in the sight of the Lord. We do it with honor. We do it with respect. We recognize the body and blood of Jesus. But you don't have to be an elder, a pastor, an ordained minister to be able to break bread with people. And then lastly, how do we devote ourselves to prayer? I spoke about this last week, so I'm not going to uh, talk about it much now. You can, uh, and it was great to see a whole bunch of new folk joining us at our last prayer meeting for the year. But when it comes to prayer, something that uh, Kate, my wife, uh, I mean, she's a passionate runner to the point where she even said the other day, and it struck me as an interesting thing to say. She lives a, not a, her lifestyle can be busy at different times based on the day. It's always changing. So she'll think about the day and then where in the day do I get my run? Sometimes she'll say, no, no, I have to go running now because I've got all of these. Or later on, I've got a busy morning, but I'll get my run in there. In other words, based on the day, somewhere I have to make time to go running every day. And in some ways, that was Jesus. If I've got a hectic day, let me get up really early. If it's been a busy day, let me spend the evening. He, he built around his life. I've got to be able to put my time with the Lord. So let me give you some questions and suggestions. Do you pray on your knees? Personally, I've found how much more effectively I pray, because when I'm sitting, I get distracted. When I'm on my knees, I pray with a more intensity. Try it if you haven't. Have you tried prayer walking? I, I find just walking and praying. I can't run and pray, because then I'm just praying for myself, survival. But when I walk, I can pray out of a distraction environment. I heard one pastor talking about recently how, how it's become a custom for him and his wife Twice a week, they go for a walk and pray together. What a beautiful way of combining marriage ritual plus devotion time to the Lord. Do you keep a record of your prayers to be accountable? These are the things that I've been laboring in prayer for. Do you use the Lord's Prayer as a prayer guide? For me, most of my praying is based around the Lord's Prayer. Not parrot fashion, but as a template for prayer. Do you use alarm triggers to remind you to stop and pray during the day? Something that I've been using, just got a couple of alarms on my phone throughout the day. They just, oh yeah, just stop out of your busyness. Take a moment. Just even if it's just pray the Lord's prayer now, but it just breaks the busyness of the day and gets our focus right. Do you prioritize those church prayer meetings as well? And so this is the Jesus lifestyle. Loving Jesus by turning the word into flesh. Loving Jesus' body by voluntarily serving them. Loving Jesus by turning your dining room table into a ministry tool. Loving Jesus by becoming a man of prayer. This is a life devoted to Jesus. When you begin to practice the customs of Jesus, I'm convinced it'll transform our lives. It turns loving Jesus into something practical. If as a church we began to practice the customs of Jesus... It would revolutionize the way we do church because it would straight away turn the whole church into leaders because now we know how to love, care, and disciple others. And if more and more of us who did it and then got scattered to the nations, you'd actually find you equipped. Wherever you land in the world, you could have an impact because really discipleship, and we make disciples, is simply training others to walk in the lifestyle of Jesus. As we go into this holiday don't take a holiday from the lifestyle of Jesus. And as we go into 2024, let's make the lifestyle of Jesus a central priority in our lives. Can you say amen to that? Why don't you stand with me, please?
Father, we thank you that there's a beauty to simplicity. And Father, as complex as the world is, you've actually made it simple as well. As complex as it is to deal with a human heart as we follow Jesus and, and church, you've actually made it simple as well. And Father, I pray that as we navigate our way through complex lives of busyness and demands and kids and school and career and all of these things, Father, may we find the beauty of the simplicity of the customs of Jesus. Maybe the Holy Spirit is nudging you in various ways. Maybe there's an adjustment. Maybe there's a habit you need to work on. Let's get back to what the early church did. Jesus, as your disciple, help me to follow your simple lifestyle. Help me to live out this lifestyle as an example to my family. And help me to live out this example that I could disciple others in the way I follow Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would come and minister to each one of us. Help us even through this holiday season to keep our eyes on you, King Jesus. And we pray that next year would be a year of fruitfulness and effectiveness. Father, thank you for your gracious hand that rests upon us. Thank you for your church, Lord. Thank you for your people. Thank you that as we go, we go knowing you are with us, you are for us, and your face shines upon us in Jesus' name.